last Sunday of our I Am series. Hey, it has been a good series for me as I've studied the life and, and the words of Jesus and, and he's convicted me and grown me. And so we're gonna close with the true vine, the true vine. Now, if you heard uh, during the reading there, just kind of on repeat, you heard abide in the vine, abide in the vine, abide in the vine. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus is talking about our fellowship with him, that we rest. Abiding is resting, sitting, being in relationship. And, and the vine is, is Jesus. So we rest in Jesus. We have fellowship with Jesus. We abide in Jesus. What this text is getting after is a theological term called union with Christ union with Christ. And, and I spent some time this week kind of considering what is union with Christ? What does it mean to be united to Christ? And I tried to come up with like a, a really fancy, like one line statement that would be sticky and memorable and whatever else. And I just couldn't do it. It took me too long. And then I went out there and I researched, all right, I'm, I'm like, the, you know, I'm just going to uh, steal from someone who came up with a cool definition of this and other theologians, other scholars, like they just they couldn't come up with anything. And the reason why is because union with Christ is so incredibly multifaceted, it's hard to just come up with a one-liner of what it is. So, so let me just kind of, in a bunch of different sentences, talk about union with Christ. Union with Christ means you have been predestined by Christ. That before the very foundation of the world, Jesus set his sights upon you and chose you to be his, to belong to him, to be bought by him and to be a part of his family. And, and, and you didn't choose him. He chose you. Union with Christ means you have been pardoned by Jesus. That in our rebellion, we have run away from Jesus and his goodness and his kindness to us, and yet he still saw all of our sin just kind of stored up against him, and, and the due penalty of sin is wrath and judgment, but Jesus pardoned us from that. Union with Christ means we have been purchased by Jesus, that with his very blood, he purchased us, he cleansed us of sin, and he brought us into God's forever family. Union with Christ means you are in Christ and Christ is in you, that you are hidden in the heavenlies with Jesus Christ. And as Galatians tells us, it is no longer us who lives, but Christ who lives in us. Christ, the hope of glory, dwells within us by his spirit. Union with Christ means you are sealed by Jesus, that you did nothing to earn your salvation and you can do nothing to lose your salvation, that when Jesus saved you, you are sealed, which means you have assurance of faith that Jesus will surely finish that which he has started. Union with Christ means you have fellowship with Christ. Jesus is not a distant, inanimate object that we kind of study in history. Jesus is a living, ruling, reigning savior. Jesus is a person and we have fellowship with him and our relationship with him is living and active. Union with Christ means you have ever-expanding knowledge of Jesus, ever-expanding love for Jesus. And union with Christ means you live for him. His purposes are now your purposes. Union with Christ, the moment you turn from your sin and trust in him, you're cleansed of unrighteousness and you are united to Jesus. You abide in the vine. And it's this wildly multifaceted reality. 
Now, the reason why I'm talking about union with Christ, and I am using that interchangeably with abiding in the vine, is because I believe if we truly understand what union with Christ means, it will change everything about our living. So here's the main point from the text this morning. To be united to Christ, to abide in the vine, will give us understanding in how God sees us, how God grows us, and how God uses us. If we understand what union with Jesus looks like, it will change the way we understand how God sees us, how God grows us, and how God uses us. Are we good? Caffeine's kicking in? We're getting there? Woo! Coffee's out back. Don't get it now. Get it after. First point, union with Christ gives understanding to how God sees us. Right there in verse 1, the text says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Now, if you were a first century Jew, this would have been a loaded phrase from the mouth of Jesus. And the reason why is if you were to go into the Old Testament, Israel was the chosen people of God, the chosen nation of God. And there's many metaphors for how Israel is described in the Old Testament. But one of the primary metaphors is a vineyard that Israel was called to be a vineyard. And Jesus comes in and says, everything you aren't, Israel, I am. I am, the, I am the true vine. I am the better vine. I'm the better vineyard. And the reason why is because Israel completely and utterly failed to fulfill the calling that God had put on their lives. Listen to Isaiah with me. Now you dwellers in Jerusalem and people of Judah... Judge between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done for my vineyard that I, than I have done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? Now I will tell you what I am going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge, and it will be destroyed. I will break down its wall, and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated, and briars and thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. Israel was called by God to be a vineyard to produce good fruit and that through that good fruit, the other nations would be blessed. That's the, that's the entire message line of the Old Testament. God tells Abraham all the way back, I'm gonna bless you to be a blessing to many nations. And he says through Israel, I'm gonna make you a vineyard that blooms and flourishes and produces good works and good grapes. And it's gonna not only nourish the people of Israel, but it's gonna nourish the surrounding nations. But Israel fails and through Isaiah, we hear the judgment of God on the people of Israel. I'm going to remove protection. The sun's going to cause this to wither. The rain is not going to come. Thorns and briars are going to overtake this. The grapes will not be produced because you, Israel, have failed. And so Jesus coming and saying, I am the true vine, is not only saying, Israel, I am the true and better vineyard, but he is reminding the people that he is speaking to in John 15 about their failure, about their ancestors' failures. And then think for a second about who Jesus is speaking these words to. He is speaking to his disciples. And Jesus is in, in the final hours of his life in John 15. And what happens from the disciples towards Jesus in these final hours. Failure. 
They fail to fulfill the calling that Jesus has given them. Think about Judas. Judas himself betrays Jesus with a kiss for a little bag of silver. Peter denies Jesus three times in his last few hours. The rest of the disciples are nowhere to be seen. Why? Because they ran at the first sign of danger. They have said, Jesus, I'm going to follow you with everything. But when it got tough, they ran and they failed to fulfill their calling. So what Jesus is doing is dredging up failure after sin, after failure, after sin for the people that he's speaking to. But in case we're thinking about pointing out there and mocking them, let's think about ourselves for a second. We too are called to be a vineyard, a people who bear good fruit to bless those around us. What's the fruit we're called to bear? Fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such thing there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires." Notice there about the fruit of the Spirit. This is singular. It doesn't say fruits. It says fruit of the Spirit, which means for the Christian, we are to simultaneously display these fruit in all of life at all times. Put your hand up if you do that. Jesus is dredging up failure after failure, sin after sin. Why did Israel fail? Why did the disciples fail? Why do we fail? Jump down to verse five. Here it is again. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. The reason why Israel failed the disciples failed and we failed is because we depart from Jesus. That's it. It's that simple. If we were to go back to the Old Testament, one of the turning points for Israel, the people of God, comes in 1 Samuel. God had called his people to, to follow him and he would be their king forever. But Israel, what they did is they looked out at other nations and they said, we want to be like the other nations. Therefore, we want a king. They demand a king other than God because they want to be like the other nations. And that's a turning point in Israel's failure to follow God. They departed from abiding in the vine. They departed from fellowship with God. They refused to follow him. And this is true for you and I as well. Every time we fail to, to, fail to picture the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, it is simply because we have departed from Jesus. We have not abided in the vine. But here's the deal. With all of this failure for Israel, all of this failure for the disciples, all of this failure for us, Jesus speaks a better word. Look at verse 3. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Jesus, the Savior of the world, speaks a word of forgiveness over his people. All of the failure, 
Everything that holds us back, every bit of the time we wander from Jesus, we don't abide in Jesus, we fail to follow Jesus, the vine looks at his people who are united to him and says, I speak a word of cleansing over you. You are righteous because I made you righteous. The word that Jesus speaks over his children is forgiven, is freed, is mercy, is grace, is love, is kindness, even in the face of all of our failures. Jesus knew what he was getting into when he chose us. What Jesus was getting into is every bit of our sin and rebellion against him, past, present, and future. You realize Jesus didn't just save you from your sins in the past. He also saved you and cleansed you from the sins you're going to commit later today. He has cleansed you. He has spoken a word of forgiveness over you. Jesus wants to dredge up our failure and remind us of our frailty so that he can show us how desperately needy we are for him. That where Israel abandoned him and demanded a king to be like the other nations, he wants to say, go ahead and find the exhaustion you walk into. But if you follow me, you will find joy, you will find hope, you will find life. He is speaking that to us as well. When you are united to Christ, when you abide in the vine, it changes the way God sees you. He doesn't see you for your resume. He sees you for the resume of Jesus. You can just take your resume, rip it up, right? Nancy Pelosi, that thing. That was so bad. Rip it up because he sees the resume of Jesus. He doesn't see your unrighteousness, he sees the righteousness of Jesus. Oh, that our brains would understand how the Bible communicates the way God sees those who are united to Christ. All right, third week in a row, we're gonna talk about Joel Osteen. Hard transition. I've said it before, I'll say it again. Don't listen to Joel Osteen. Everything he says is trash and from the pit of hell, almost everything. Um, don't listen to him. But, but one thing Joel Osteen does get right, and, and listen, God uses wicked people to accomplish his purposes. He, he used a donkey, he uses Joel Osteen, and here's the truth, he uses you and I. So there's a little bit of humble pie for all of us in case we wanna make fun of Joel Osteen too much. One thing Joel Osteen does at the beginning of his service, if you've ever watched it, that's actually really good, okay, so I'm qualifying everything I'm about to say. He's, don't listen to him. One thing he does that's good is he holds his Bible up and then they put a liturgy on the screen and they recite it together as a church. We can call it a church, whatever it is. Um, and they say, the first line they say is, I am what this says I am. That's good. That's really good. Church, we have to understand that we are what this says we are. And so what this says that we are is created in the image of God. Before you are a sinner, your fundamental identity is someone made in the image of God. And God has declared that good. And then we did sin and we did run away from Jesus, but God did not leave us alone. He sent his only son into this world to save sinners, to redeem us, to bring us back into his fold. And when we come to Jesus, we are transitioned from darkness to light, from orphan to family, from enemy to friend, from lost to found. 
Jesus has transitioned us from sinner to saint. That's how God sees us, Christian. And we have to understand this. We have to understand how God sees us because it changes everything. Because again, if abiding in the vine or union with Christ is about fellowship, then understanding how the person you're in relationship sees you changes the way you relate to them. So if you imagine God as a distant tyrant who's just waiting to pounce at every moment, when you sin, what are you gonna do? You're gonna cower? You're gonna recoil? You're gonna let your shame define you? There's no way you're gonna run to him. You're just gonna run from him. This is what Adam and Eve did in the garden. They sinned, and what did they do? They ran from God. They tried to hide themselves. They blame shifted. They did everything other than what they should have done. But if we understand that when we're united to Christ and we're abiding in the vine, it changes the way that God sees us from sinner to saint, then it changes the way we relate to him. When you sin, we don't flee from him, we run to him. Because he has said he has buried all of our shame. He has buried all of our guilt. He has pardoned all of our sin. Jesus has taken the penalty of our sin. What that means is when you come to Christ, all of the wrath, all of the condemnation, all of the judgment, 100% of it, that is due to you is poured out on Jesus on the cross. Every bit of it. And when you come to Christ, all that the Father, all that the vine dresser has stored up for you is love. That's it. His love for you. He has mercy for you. He has grace for you. He is not waiting to pounce. Instead, he is waiting to forgive and to free and to give grace. And so if we understand how God sees us, it changes how we relate to him. Not just in our sin. Yes, in our sin, we run to him and we find forgiveness, but also in our daily living. God, I need you. You run to him because you know he provides. God, help me. He's a willing helper. God, be with me. And he will. If we understand how God sees us, it changes how we relate to him. Next thing. Union with Christ gives understanding to how God grows us. Okay, so you're united to Christ, you're, you're forgiven, you're, you're freed, you're abiding in the vine, and you just kind of stay there, right? Like, just chill. Never. God's intent for the Christian is growth. Always. First Thessalonians tells us that God's will for our life is our sanctification. Jesus prays, sanctify them in your truth. Sanctification is just progressive growth in looking more like Jesus. And that's one of the main points of this entire I Am series. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. His light has shone on our darkness. And then he says, go be a light in the world. Become like me and shine your light before all men that they may glorify me. Jesus says, I'm the bread of life, feast on me. And then he gives us his word that we might feed others and they would know him. He saves us, he is the true vine. And then, he, and then God, the vine dresser, wants to make us look more and more progressively like the vine. How does he grow us? Look at verse two. Every branch in me that, he, that does not bear fruit, he takes away. 
And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruits. God grows us through pruning. Pruning is simply cutting, you know this. And every January, Katie and I get out in our front yard and we cut our rose bushes like comically far back. Like you can't even hardly see them. They look like weeds at that point. But, but sure enough, a little bit of rain or a lot of rain this year, praise God that's over for now. Someone said it's coming back tonight. Is that true? And, and then every April, after pruning, eventually, boom. I mean, those rose bushes are just blooming, bright, big, out of nowhere. It's like we kind of watch them. We're like, are those things going to grow back? Are they going to grow back? Are they going to grow back? And then like in a week, it's just like boom, because pruning grows the rose bushes. The father, the vine dresser, intends to grow his vines through the act of pruning. And pruning is painful. We have to understand that. But almost all of growth in life, intuitively we know this, almost all of growth in life is painful. You work out and you tear your muscles and they grow back stronger. Right? Many of us have little marks. I have a lot of something on the back of my pants. I have marks on the back of our knees that are growing marks, growing pains, right? From a growth spurt, pruning again. God grows us through the act of pruning, which means we must rid ourselves of the notion that the Christian life is this happy, clappy, kind of living in trolls land type of existence. That's not what it is. If we follow the way of Jesus, then we are following the way of suffering. And Christian, we must reorient our lives that the way of suffering is the way that Jesus has called us to go. So when suffering comes our way, we don't look at it as a sign of God's hatred towards us, but rather we look at it as a sign that God intends to grow us. Most often when pain or calamity or hardship comes our way, the primary question we're asking is, how do I get out of this as quickly as possible? When the question for the Christian should be, what is God trying to teach me in this? How is God trying to grow me through this? We see suffering not as a sign of God's hatred towards us, but as a sign of God's love and pruning of us. I'm gonna read some scripture, Hebrews 12. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we, much more, shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness." For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. That's not a, a scripture we're too familiar with, are we? We don't like reading that too much. 
that a sign of God's love for me, that a sign that I am a child of God, a son or a daughter of God is that he is disciplining me. He is reproving me. He is chastising me. I don't like that. But it says there the purpose, the reason why he disciplines us is for our good so that we would share in his holiness. He intends to prune out of our lives ways of wickedness so that we would walk in holiness. And eventually that holiness would bear fruit of righteousness. 2 Corinthians 1. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. The reason why God prunes us is, is to get the ways of wickedness out of us that we might walk in holiness, but also he is pruning us to make us trust. All of life is an issue of trust. All of life, all of the Christian life is an issue of trust or faith and all of your everyday life is an issue of trust or faith. Every one of us trusts in something. The question is, what do we trust in? And when we walk through pain or hardship or calamity or suffering, what God is doing to us in his kindness is revealing what we trust in. And he is trying to tell us, rid yourself of trusting in those things in order that you might trust in me and he may prove himself worthy of our trust. God disciplines us so that we would increase our trust in him. So here's something I wanna, I wanna challenge you to do. When, when something hard comes your way, whatever it may be, I want you to test your urges. Here's what I mean by that. When something hard comes your way, what's your first instinct? My first instinct when something hard comes my way is like, all right, google.com, how do I fix this? Fill in the blank, whatever it is, right? Ratchet up the work, go harder, work more, do more, try harder, and do everything I can to fix it under my own strength, right? That, that's just what my urge is. Your urge might be to flee, right? Something hard comes my way, I'm gonna do whatever I can to, to ignore that, right? Some of us are urged when something hard comes our way is, man, we're gonna, we're gonna fight back. Right, we're gonna get after this thing. Some of us is just like, put the blinders on, this isn't real, right? I don't know what your urge is, throw money at it, go, go, you know, go, go walk in addiction, go do everything you can to pacify yourself. All of us have urges when hard things come our way. I want you to test those things, and then what I want you to do is, when the urge comes in, resist it and trust in Jesus. It's that simple. It's that simple. It's, it's not easy. I didn't say easy, but it's simple. Simple and easy are not the same thing. So when something hard comes your way, take it as God's pruning of you and say, God, you're trying to teach me. You're trying to grow me. How can I trust you in this? So, so let's say money's good right now, but a couple months from now, it's not. Right? And the urge is like, all right, I gotta, I gotta go do, do whatever I can to, to make that money back. I gotta scramble, right? Do everything I can to fix this problem. Resist that urge and go trust in Jesus, your provider, who has promised you will have every one of your needs met. 
Relationships are hard, right? You, you wanna do everything you can to fix it? Good, no, go, go to Jesus. Go to Jesus. I'm not saying ignore action. What I am saying is your primary urge should be go to Jesus in trust and prayer and faith. I have a friend in, in Brisbane, Australia, Dave, who we, we talk um, somewhat frequently considering the time difference. And every time we finish a text message or an email, because there's no way we're getting on the phone with those hours, but he finishes every conversation with a beautiful picture of the Christian life. Keep on trusting Jesus. That's his encouragement to me. Like we talk about life and things that are going on, he just says, keep on trusting Jesus. Keep on trusting Jesus. And when God is pruning us, he just wants that to be the banner over our life. Keep on trusting Jesus. Final point here. Union with Christ gives us understanding to how God wants to use us. Now, if we're, if we're candid, um, these verses are kind of brutal, right? V- verse two, every branch in me, he takes away and that doesn't bear fruit. In verse four, you can do nothing apart from me. In verse six, if you don't bear fruit, I'm gonna throw you into the fire. Verse eight, by this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. What Jesus is plainly teaching in in these verses is what the book of James communicates to us. Faith without works is dead. No fruit, no faith. Genuine belief leads to genuine fruit. We have to get the order right. You don't bear fruit and then get faith. You have faith in Jesus and then you bear fruit. But Jesus is saying clearly, I want you, my intention for you, how I'm gonna use you is that you would bear fruit and prove to be my disciples. And you have to do it in me. So again, what what does this fruit look like? What's, What's the fruit we're supposed to picture to this world? Why complicate it? Through the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, now here's something that's true about you and I. We are people of do, right? But most often, the call in following Jesus is not necessarily do first, but it's about being. It's about who you are. So think about some of these fruit. Like You don't do joy. You have joy. You don't do patience, you have it. You don't do faithfulness, you're a person of faithfulness. The fruit that Jesus is calling us to display in this world is less about what we can do and more about who we are becoming in him. That's how he wants to use us in this world. So how do we do that? Abide in the vine, abide in the vine. Abide in the vine. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So what does it mean to abide in the vine? Jump down to verse nine. It wasn't a part of the reading this morning, but look at it. Verse nine. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. You abide in the vine by abiding in the love of Jesus. Sitting resting in the love of Jesus, growing in your understanding of his love towards you, walking in his love towards you, receiving his love for you, and naturally it will spill out in your life in displaying the fruit of the Spirit. Jesus has both 
demonstrated and declared his love for us, right? And, and this is how every relationship works. There's a way in which I can tell Katie, I love you with my words. I declare my love for her, but it does, doesn't really mean anything until I demonstrate it, right? Until I serve her, until I lay my life down and sacrifice for her until I provide for her, until I do all the things God has called me to do for her, it validates the words I'm declaring of love over her. Jesus has declared his love for us. He has said, you are mine, you belong to me, I love you, but he has also demonstrated his love for us. He has not only declared it, he's demonstrated it. How? He went to the cross for the sake of our sins. He was raised to new life for the sake of our life, and he freely gifts it to us. He has declared and demonstrated his love towards us. It is now our job to abide in the vine by receiving that love. How do we receive that love? We do everything we can to stir our awareness for him and stir our affections for him. At all of life, all of your distractions, all of your sin, all of, your ha all of these things can drive a wedge between us and God. And our job as Christians in abiding in his love is to do everything we can to stir our awareness for him and stir our affections for him. If we grow in our comprehension of his love, then we grow in our reception of his love, and then the fruit of the Spirit are naturally gonna spill out in our lives. So, so the question I have to ask myself and you have to ask yourself, what are the things that stir my affections for Jesus? What are the things that grow me in awareness of his love for me and, and, and put kindling on the fire, so to speak, so that I'm more and more aware of his love? Let me, let me just walk through a couple of things for me that work and some things that don't work. So some things that stir my affections for Jesus, that grow me in my awareness of his love. Five o'clock in the morning. I love it. I love a quiet house. I love the coffee brewing. I love getting an exercise in real quick, like getting the blood flowing and then getting some coffee and scripture. Why? I need to be reminded of Jesus's new morning mercies. I need to be reminded of the promises that scripture speak over me. Because if I don't have that, man, I just, I just feel like I'm kind of floating through life. I, I love early morning, fresh mercies from Jesus. I, I love like big things. I love going to the ocean and Colorado and, and the Grand Canyon because I love being overcome with the vastness of God's creation. It reminds me of just how big God is and it makes my problems and myself small. I love um, good stories, good music that tell a story, good art that tells a story of redemption. I love that some things that don't work for me. Poetry. <laughs> it might work for you. That's good. I'm glad it does. It just doesn't work for me. I don't, I don't, I don't prefer it. Um, deep talks, like for hours on end, right? Like, let's, let's go grab a cup of coffee and just like talk. Like some of you, man, that's awesome. I love that you love that. I don't. I don't. That's Okay. I'm not dogging you, you shouldn't dog me. Hiking and camping, right, I've been there. Tried that, horrible, not good, not good. Why do so much work to go on vacation to come home and do more work? 
right? I wanna show up to the lobby and be like, here's my credit card, where's my key, clean up after me. <laughs> Point taken, it's baloney. That works for some of you though, I know it does and I'm making fun of you right now for a reason, but that's awesome, I'm glad that stirs your affections for Jesus. Right, you have to ask yourself, I love Christian biographies, I love them. I love reading of saints past, men and women who followed Jesus through the hardest of times and through the best of times. It stirs my faith and it stirs my affections for Jesus. I can just keep going here. And what I have to do is find those things and I have to systematically put those things in my calendar and you do too in order that you grow in awareness of Jesus' love for you so you can receive that. And then I have to do all the things to eliminate everything that leads me away from Jesus. Like you guys know, I, I love sports. I love them too much. I find myself emotionally disliking guys on my fantasy football team that don't perform for me. <laughs> it's stupid, right? You're laughing. You guys think I'm joking about the Dodgers, but I'm not. I like hate the Dodgers. Yes. <laughs> right? Like, it's, like, I want them to lose more than the angels to win. Like, yes, thank you. You guys think it's a joke. We're still laughing. Like, we're going here. But here's what happens with sports, right? It, it stirs my competition bug a little too much to the point where it becomes, like, jealousy, evil, vitriol, vengeance, right? Like, I played sports in order to step on other people's throats, that doesn't sound like the way of Jesus. So I have to do what I can. Like, like, you guys are laughing at me. I'm actually like putting myself on display here a little bit. I love experiences. I love trying new things. New coffee, new food, new drink, new places. And I also have a generational wiring in my bloodline to overdo things. And so what I have to do is make sure I have people around me that say, you're going too far. You're doing too much. You're over, you're becoming a glutton. Don't do that, right? We, we, our team was on a little retreat a couple weeks or a couple months ago in, in Denver for a conference and uh, it was a late night conference. It got out and, and we went to Waffle House because Scott's from Arkansas and really wanted it. And uh, <laughs> it was good, it was good. Um, but I wanted the party to keep going, right? So we finished the conference, we go to Waffle House and then I'm like, let's go to Taco Bell. Like, I love Taco Bell. I did that, right? And Andrew Kahn's just the most mature person in the world. He's like, give me the keys, we're going home. And he's like, <laughs> he held me back. He held me back from it. It's a joke, but that's a picture of my life where I have to have people holding me back because it leads me away from Jesus. What are the things that lead you to Jesus? And what are the things that lead you away from Jesus? And how can you build a life and a calendar and a rhythm that promotes the things to resting in his love and it eliminates the things that lead you away from him? Because as you sit in his love and you grow in your awareness for his love, naturally the fruit of the spirit are going to grow in your life and you're gonna display it to a watching world. It's that simple, following Jesus. So if we understand what it means to be united to Christ, 
to come to him in faith, to abide in the vine, it changes the way God sees us. We are no longer sinners. We are saints clothed in the righteousness of Jesus, whom God loves and he will never leave, never forsake, never betray. He will always and only give you love and forgiveness and mercy and grace. That's how God sees you, Christian. And he intends to grow you and he is going to grow you through the hard stuff in your life that you would wean yourself of sin and trust all the more in him. And as you trust in him, he is going to use you to a watching world, a lost and a dying world who need the fruit of the spirit as you grow in his love, grow an awareness of his love and stir your affections for his love. It's all gonna spill out over into a life of witness for Jesus. And I love that we're finishing the I Am series with this one. I love it. Because this whole series is less about what we do for Jesus and even less about what Jesus does for us and more just about who Jesus is. Jesus is Savior. Jesus is love. Jesus is redeemer. Jesus is ransomer. Jesus is reconciler. Jesus is our big brother who united us back to the Father forever. And he is going to return for us and bring us back into glory where we'll dwell in God's presence forevermore. That's who Jesus is. And so the goal of this entire series is to abide in that. Just rest in that. He is the bread of life. Feast on him. Receive his broken body and shed blood for your sin. He is the light of the world. Let him expose your darkness and bring you into his glorious lights. He is the door. The invitation is open. The sheepfold is there. Come on in. He is the good shepherd. He doesn't need you to lead or protect yourself. He will lead, guide, and protect you. He is the resurrection and the life. Come to him, be resurrected, and have life forevermore. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Come to the Father through him. He is the true vine. Rest in his ever-expanding love for you and toward you. Hear me, church. It's just not about you. It's just not. It's all about him. Look to him, not to self. Look to him, not to sin. Look to him, not to others. Look to him, not to the things of this world. Trust in him. And that's not an action of doing something that's sitting and receiving all that he has for you. Join me in a word of prayer. Father, we love you and we thank you for Jesus. We do thank you for his life, death, and resurrection in our place. We're going to celebrate this Holy Week. I pray, God, you would help us to um, see Jesus as he is, the true vine, the risen Savior of the world, the one who has poured out his blood for the sake of our sins and brought us into your family. I pray we would begin to comprehend with more depth just how you see us that you, you don't see us as, as wicked sinners that you're just waiting to pounce on, but you see us as your beloved children that you're waiting to give mercy to. God, help us to see that you want to grow us, and most often you are growing us through the things we try to run from, through our pain and through our suffering. 
Help us to receive suffering as the way of Jesus and ask, how is God growing us through this? How is God pruning me through this so that we can change our perspective on those things and glorify you in all things? And then God, I pray that you would use us in this world, that we would just simply do what we can to grow in our knowledge of your love and our reception of your love that your love would ever expand in our hearts and our souls so that the fruit of the Spirit would just overflow in our lives. I pray we would be a church who abides in the vine, who rests in the vine, who depends on the vine, who trusts in the vine, and who loves the vine. I pray all this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.